Welcome to the Australian Christian Lobby's Voice for Values. This episode contains discussion of themes some may find confronting. Welcome to Voice for Values. I'm Martin Isles. In the last couple of episodes, we have been discussing this idea of heteronormativity, a word that has been given to a range of realities in our society that you and I once took for granted. Facts such as boys are boys, and girls are girls, and that boys and girls grow to become men and women. Men and women tend to be attracted to each other in heterosexual relationships, and they tend to marry and form classical families. This is now given a political label of heteronormativity, and activists are seeking on many fronts to undermine this feature of Western culture. We talked about the philosophy that underlies this queer theory in the first episode, Uh, We talked in the last episode about some of the legal agendas that are going on with changes to policy and legislation, specifically around marriage, anti-discrimination laws, and conversion therapies, which seek to entrench queer normativity in in place of heteronormativity in our political structures. Today, I am joined once again by our resident expert on such matters, Dr. Elizabeth Taylor, the director of ACL's research. Dr. Taylor, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Dr. Taylor, in today's episode, I'm really interested in hunkering down into particularly the education system and other parts of our society that seek to target children with this, under, with this belief that attacks heteronormativity and in its place indoctrinates children around to a queer normative way of life. Uh, and how that's being done and what in fact are the consequences and you know one of the one of the key places this is happening and this has become very well known through say the safe schools program and all the publicity that that received and various other programs of its type one of the places that it's happening very strongly is in the education system in our schools Mm -hmm. so how is it that the children of perhaps some of our listeners but children in australian society at large are coming into contact with queer theory, queer normativity, and attacks against heterosexual ideas? Well, all through the school system, um, we've talked a little bit in previous episodes about uh, the influence of social media and uh, even uh, publications for teenagers like Teen Vogue, who you wouldn't necessarily think were particularly radical, but even uh, the mainstream media, the ABC, is very... um, telling good news stories about uh, transgender people, families that have managed transitioning and it's all worked out marvellously, polyamorous relationships that have saved marriages and how great all of that is. So there's a very um, uh, positive spin put on a lot of this in a a number of different ways all through culture, but specifically in the school system, the, the Safe Schools program is one. that They wrote a curriculum called the All of Us curriculum, and that they've now recognised as really an overreach because it was explaining very clearly, for the benefit of school children, this worldview that they are promulgating whereby sexuality and gender exists on a spectrum. It's, it's not binary, um, and gender is independent of biology. There's a whole a range of things there, but it's basically queer theory. And for a long time, the education minister was reluctant to recognise that queer theory was being taught in schools. And if you talk to, um, I've had letters from uh, the Department of Education in Western Australia, for example, saying safe schools has nothing at all to do with queer theory. But of course, this is nonsense because you can only say that if you've not read the curriculum or if you don't understand what queer theory is, because this is very clearly queer theory being offered up to children as though it's truth. And I was speaking to some activists after a protest, and that was quite an interesting conversation because they were saying, yes, of course, safe schools is teaching queer theory to children. What's wrong with that? And that then, uh, because from their point of view, they were saying, well, queer theory doesn't teach that heterosexuality is wrong. You're very welcome to be heterosexual within queer theory. But what's interesting about that is that 
heterosexuality is entirely invisible in queer theory. So particularly when you think that adolescence is the stage when the job of adolescence really is to go and find out who you are in the world, what is your own identity, and what these programs are teaching are that the essential parts of identity that you really need to nut out as a priority are your sexual orientation and your gender identity. And once you've worked those things out, that you'll know exactly who you really are. And these teaching tools that we're talking about, whether it's something that is presented by the Safe Schools Coalition or whether it's one of these others, like the gender-bred person, as was found in some Queensland mm-hmm. schools and is used overseas and various others, basically the way they teach queer theory to a child is to say, hey, start thinking about yourself differently. Uh, start thinking about who you're attracted to on one spectrum, mm-hmm. uh, how you identify in your heart about your gender on mm-hmm. another spectrum, You know what your biological sex looks like on another spectrum. And so they break up all of these things mm-hmm. and they ask kids, am I right in this? They ask kids to identify where they sit between the two extremes, whether it's gay and straight uh, or whether it's ma- male or female or whether it's any of the other spectrums, which you may be able to enlighten us to. Uh, they're asked to nominate a place on the spectrum where they may find themselves rather than just saying, I am a boy, I am a girl. Mm. The the teaching tool itself is presented as if they're probably somewhere in between. Yeah, that's right, because that's the effect of looking at a spectrum, is that you you imagine a bell curve. You imagine that most people are sort of somewhere in the middle, aren't Mm. they? And... um, so what essentially what's being taught, and it's through quite a lot of different HP um, health and physical education curricula, so it was in Crossroads in New South Wales, uh, it, it informs the respectful relationships materials in Victoria, um, but it's basically the idea that biology, sex, gender and gender expression vary independently. So they all exist on a spectrum and they all vary independently. So once you've worked and you put those four things together, there's an infinite number of combinations. And so therefore you can find out the unique properties that make you distinctly you if you work out, um, if you work this out. Now, um, schools aren't saying, tell me where you fit on this spectrum, but they're just presenting an anthropology, a belief about the human person, which is um, fundamentally different to anything that most parents, I think, out there would recognise. And I think most parents are looking at these tools, as I think the opposition leader in Queensland said, Deb Pricklington, when they found the gender-bred person in, in, in Queensland schools, uh, she said that you know she was confused by looking at the teaching tools because oh, yeah. there's so many infinite options about how you may feel about yourself. The question you ask is, how do I know whether I feel this way? That's right. And so there's a confusing element to this. Is that correct? Absolutely. And also... Um, uh, uh, the promotion of the idea that you need to explore. So, and I think this is one of the things that is quite sad about this, is that uh, we used to have a whole range of different relationships which were regarded as good and wholesome, but now it's all sexualized. So if you are attracted to someone or if you admire them, well, that might be a sexual attraction. Maybe you ought to explore that more. Uh, maybe you're bisexual and, and uh, how will you know unless you've tried it? So, mm. so if two girls are besties in year 10, they may in fact be lesbians. That's right. Well, that's right. It's, it's why wait till year 10? You know, we've got some in year five mm. who... Uh, and, and so these um, innocent friendships are being sexualised and promoted as sexual and children are being encouraged to regard them as sexual. And I think that that's a shame. So I want to return to this idea then of what happens uh, with children who are confused with this ideology through the schooling system uh, and other parts of society uh, once, once this work is done. Um, we'll be right back after this. Voice for Values at acl.org.au. Welcome back to Voice for Values. I'm Martin Isles. I'm joined today by the Australian Christian Lobby's Director of Research, Dr Elizabeth Taylor, to talk in our third episode about heteronormativity. 
what these beliefs about being straight, about being boys and girls, gender, sexuality, marriage, etc., how they are being attacked by activists through policies and laws in our society, but also uh, pertinent to today's episode through the education system. And we've talked quite a bit about the teaching tools that are used in our schools and that children are exposed to, and the confusing effect that they can have on a child, particularly in relation to what their gender identity might be, or what their sexuality might be, and the encouragement that they receive to explore those things, which could be potentially harmful. But I want to now just take a, a step back and have a look at, uh, you have now children that have been exposed to these teaching tools and may be substantially confused as a result, or certainly are exploring things that you and I were never encouraged to explore in the past, and it could lead them down all kinds of avenues. What happens now? Let's say a child says, well, I think I might feel like a boy and not a girl anymore. What happens to them? Mm. So if you look at the education department policies in different states, um, they're they have elaborated how to treat transgender. We'll just talk about transgenderism for, for these purposes. Um, because transgenderism in children is a, a relatively new idea. There are adult transgender people who felt that they always knew that that they were transgender. And so one of the approaches has then, has then been to look at children who express some sort of gender dysphoria and to believe that that will persist. In fact, the evidence overwhelmingly says that Conservatively, at least 80% of those children post-puberty will not identify as transgender. And yet, um, and this is very difficult to explain the logic here, the policy is nevertheless to affirm as a permanent fixed property the gender expression that a child um, uh, states at any age. Uh, and, and this is happening now for preschoolers as well. And so if a school is presented with a child who says, no, actually, I know I look like a girl, but I'm a boy. In South Australia, for example, the role of the principal is to affirm that child in the opposite gender, even without the parent's knowledge or consent. So I think this is something that most parents would find quite alarming. My mm. little daughter, Dorothy, is going off to school and at school, she's being treated as though she is Sam, all day long she's wearing a boy's uniform and uh, and being treated by everybody there as though she's a boy. And then she's coming home to me, still um, I'm in the dark about it. I still think Dorothy's just being treated like a girl at school. In um, Victoria, they've gone one further and said uh, it may be necessary to affirm a child in a um, different gender identity, even without any sort of specialist backup at all. So um, no medical intervention, no parents, no teachers, no, no counsellors, nobody um, is there to say, to even question it. It just, they need to affirm. In fact, you, looking at the policies, you think you'd just be safest affirming any gender as long as it's not congruent with biology and you'll be safe. And by affirmation, really, we're talking at this stage about social transition. So, mm. so the, the girl is called a he and given the different uniform and so forth. Mm. But of course, once a social transition is in place and the child becomes used to being treated as the opposite gender or whatever gender identity it may be, as you said in the Victorian case, uh, other things can follow from there. There's puberty blockers, there's hormones, mm -hmm. things like that. So you can actually embark on a very radical uh, trajectory towards uh, gender reassignment. I mean, what is the wisdom of, of doing that to a child. If a child comes up and says, I'm gender dysphoric or I feel like something else, there's that pathway. Mm. Or there's the pathway of saying, well, no, Dorothy, you're Dorothy and you're a girl. How about we wait around? You keep wearing your dress mm. and we'll see how things go, particularly with adolescence. What's the wisdom of, of, of either of those approaches? I, I, I absolutely can't understand why you would want to transition Dorothy before puberty, before you found out whether or not she is one, you know, one of the two in uh, 10 who, conservatively speaking, won't be happy being Dorothy on the other side of puberty. Um, I, I really can't understand the, the long-term benefits of that, but it is uh, wrapped up in compassion that we are affirming Dorothy as Sam because, you know, she really is a boy. 
but as you say, the medical effects of getting that wrong are, are incredible because Dorothy is uh, conceivably, if she follows the pathway of medicalisation, um, sterilised in, in this mm. process and, and uh, funneled and off into surgery. double mastectomies and hormones and that's broken right. voices and beards and all sorts of things. Well, that's right, yeah. But even if it goes no further than social transitioning, this is an experiment. We haven't done this before. We haven't actually mm. uh, found out what happens to a generation of children who are told that they are somebody else from the age of four. Mm. And this is an extraordinary thing. How do you... And that the um, chances of a child then coming back and saying to the entire adult world that thinks that they're Sam, actually know you're all wrong and I was wrong all this time and I'm Dorothy. I mean, that, that is going to be an incredibly traumatic, difficult process uh, for the child to reconcile with their um, biological sex. And yet that's the most desirable outcome because this is a recipe for happiness. It doesn't involve a lifetime of medical intervention. And yet if you were to propose that, then the transgender movement would say, well, that's transphobic because you're saying that being gender congruent is better than being, um, than being transgender. Mm. And there's an important aspect of the value of the human person here because I think from a Christian point of view, everybody is equally valuable in the eyes of God and, uh, and, and has the same uh, incredibly... Uh, they're infinitely precious. But within that, we can say that there seem to be some recipes for a happy life and the suicide rates in the transgender population suggest that uh, there are some problems associated with, with gender incongruence which don't lead to happiness. Now, the answer to that is to say that it's all stigma and, uh, and that social right. stigma is entirely responsible. So they don't find happiness because there's social stigma that says as a transgendered person they're less valuable or they're not accepted in society and integrated so well. Because of heteronormativity, right, because, because we've got these binary ideas. Yes. So this is why these binary ideas are actually killing people. They're actually harm. a form of violence. Heteronormativity so is... heteronormativity is harm. Absolutely. It's hurting everyone. It's hurting particularly transgendered kids. LGBT oppression mm -hmm. is woven into our society. And, and so in order to get rid of heteronormativity and therefore LGBT oppression, we need to unweave society in radical ways, which I don't think many people are prepared for. Uh, and just briefly, uh, what about people who do go down the transition path? Is there enough of them yet for us to understand whether or not that does indeed lead to their happiness? Oh, there are a great number who are detransitioning and they are, are not met favourably uh, by the movement. So if you go onto YouTube and you type in detransitioning, you'll find 40,000 testimonies, particularly of young women who are detransitioning. And mostly they're saying stay away from the gender experts because I was just going through a strange phase. And once I worked through those issues, now I realise I am a woman and I'm reconciled with my femininity. Um, but meanwhile, they've got broken voices and five o'clock shadows and they've, they've received hormone treatment. So it's, it's tragic. So we're left really with the question hanging what is compassion uh, is it indeed that transition and that process that leads to uh, that brokenness and trouble uh, or is it to affirm a child in their biological sex as has been done for eons under a so-called heteronormative paradigm um, this has been the most enlightening three episodes on the issue of heteronormativity i encourage you to listen to all of them uh, and i've been joined today by dr elizabeth taylor dr taylor thank you for your time oh thank you it's lovely Voice for Values from the Australian Christian Lobby at acl.org.au.